following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, I thank you. I thank you that we can come here, Lord. And I just pray right now as we we open your word and as we read what it is that you gave your Apostle Paul to the people, that we would see it as still alive and still true to us all these many years later. Lord, I pray that you just give me uh, wisdom and the right words to speak here. Lord, help me to not seek to impress, but just to convey your glory to your body here. And just pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Am I still ringing? Is that just me? It's all that rock and roll music that I listen to. Um, so uh, last weekend, I had a, a good friend of mine who... I've known since I was five years old. He came out and, and helped out with the young adult retreat. And um, a lot of you know that I've wrestled pretty much my whole life. And um, my dad was a, a wrestler and a coach and, and, and stuff. But uh, when I was talking to my friend, he said he bumped into this guy who was on a wrestling team. He was a year ahead of me. And uh, I'm pretty sure he was better friends with my dad than he was with me. Now, my dad wasn't coaching the team I was on, but he would be at the matches and sit in the bleachers with us. And um, this kid was a delinquent, basically. And my dad just attracts those kids. Um, he's, it's his spiritual gift. Um, so, like, all the kids who were, like, the troublemakers or just, you know, struggling with stuff on, on a wrestling team. And I don't know if you've been around wrestlers. It's pretty much like 95% of the team is made up of delinquents. Uh, you can decide which one I was in. Um, but so this kid would, you know, would talk to my dad and, you know, my dad would help out and different things here and there. And, and he got in touch with me and, and my, my buddy told him, hey, you know, Kurt's a pastor now out in Salt Lake City. And uh, so he found me and, and, he, and we were talking and, and he said, a pastor? Really? Like, I know you went to church, but... A pastor? I just... And I said, yeah, this is what I've been doing now for, for all these many years. And, and he said, so, so what are you doing this week? And I said, I'm actually preaching this week. And he said, well, what are you preaching on? And I said, I'm preaching on sex. And he's like, you can do that? You can talk about that stuff? And I said, well, we can. We just often don't. And, and so we had, you know, our conversation went in some interesting ways. But... But as I was preparing for this sermon, certain people saw the title. I, I, I didn't have a title when the e-link went out. And, and then I gave the title to Yolanda, and she was like, whoa. And then, uh, you know, talking to some other people, and they give you that face like, really? You're going to talk about that? And then I have conversations. I like to talk about my sermon uh, to see if I'm way off track or if I'm saying something that might be offensive or whatnot. And I had some people say, like, 
ooh, you're going to lay it down on the young people, right? I was like, hmm, maybe. And I had someone else say, you know, there are, there are a lot of people, meaning not them, who need to hear this. So you need to preach it good for those people who I am not one of. And as I was sitting here thinking about this, it, it, when, when we come to this subject, we as the church oftentimes have issues with it. So I, before we even look at the passage, if you want to open your Bibles up so that you're ready, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But before we even look at the passage, I kind of want to lay down a challenge for us as a church here. There's three little points, I guess, to my challenge. My first step is, or point is, sexual impurity is not a struggle just faced by young people or single people. It's a struggle faced by people of all ages. It just kind of manifests itself in different ways when you're a certain age. The second one is the church. You folks out there, myself included, the church must stop treating sexual sin as the unmentionable sin. The one we can't talk about in church. The one we can't talk about when we're hanging out with other Christians. We also need to stop pretending that if, if, we, if we act like that sin doesn't exist, it's going to just disappear from the body. When the church does this, they, they, they tend to treat sexual sin like as a higher sin. You know, way, way worse than all those lower minor ones like sinning and cheating on taxes or whatever it else that you might think is a lower sin. When we do this, we're hurting the church. We're, we're isolating the people who struggle with this. Because why do I want to share with people out there? They don't even want to talk about it. Kind of keep it, what's it, the 10-foot pole? It's safe if we keep it out there, but if we actually talk about sin, it might expose some of my own sin. So we won't talk about this one in particular. And then the last one is that I, I want to actually challenge you as you hear this sermon, as you process through this message, that you would be open to discussing this stuff. Talk about it with your families. Even if you have young children. Right, the sermon's not about pornography, but I want to point this out because a lot of times people think their kids are way too young for this. If you have a child 10 years old, chances are they've already seen something sexually explicit. So if you're going to wait for them to be 15 before you talk about the birds and the bees and how somehow that makes a baby or something like that, you're waiting too long. We as a church need to be able to talk about this stuff face to face. When I was involved in a church prior to moving out here, I was part of a, a circle of youth pastors and youth leaders who would get together and we pray for each other and help each other. And, and that there was this conversation happening here and I just had to butt in because what the one youth pastor was saying was, I'm scared to talk about sex with my kids. My, not, not her, his kids, but the youth group kids. So does anybody know a good video that I can put in 
and then be like, I'm done talking about sex. Let's move on to something easier to talk about. And I was like, I'll come talk to your kids. If don't, don't get the video. Sit down and talk. Not just with kids. Talk with your neighbors. Talk with the person sitting next to you. Talk about these things. So with that said, and that challenge kind of laid down, let's, let's look at our passage today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing, that you do it so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgresses or wrongs his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So last week, Pastor, Pastor Ralph, who was up here, kind of sub, got to do the sum up part, I guess, of Paul's made the major part of his letter. And then today, what is happening is Paul's kind of closing his letter. But, but like every good pastor, and maybe it's just the pastors I know, like you think they're done, and then they have a few more things they need to say before they let you go. This is exactly what Paul is doing here. So he's saying, you know, finally, three more points that I need to bring up here. Then I'll talk to you later. You know, so this is what he's doing. He's saying, look, finally, I, I want to point these few things out. Draw your attention back to these things. They're key. They are important. You're going to face them. You're going to see them. They're, they're what you should do, what you should look like. So the few verses that we're looking at today, when I first read it, I was like, oh, he's just talking about sanctification and, and how we should be good people and, 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 and seek him so that we become holy. But then after I read it a few more times, I realized he's pointing them to sexual sin as something that can thwart the sanctification process. And not just that, he, he sees that the tentacles of this type of sin have this great ability of snaking their way in to the lives, not just of the person, but of the people around them. So before we, we, we even talk about the, the, the sexual impurity part of this passage, he, I mean, Paul drives home the point right in verse 3 where he says, For the will of God... Your sanctification. We need to know what sanctification is. God's will for his people 
is our sanctification so that we would be holy people. God's will for us Christians is our sanctification so that we would be a holy people. We use that word sanctification all the time here. If you've been at this church, you know, it comes out of Steve's mouth, out of Jed's mouth, out of my, like it, it is, we use it all the time. But I want to make sure, I, I want to give you a simple definition of what sanctification is because I'm going to be using it a lot today and I don't want you to be like, that was a great sermon. If only I knew what sanctification was. So the simplest way that I could say what sanctification is, it's when something is consecrated or, or laid aside specifically for a holy religious purpose. So what Paul is saying here is the will of God is your sanctification. The will of God is that you would be set aside to worship and honor him with your life. But we don't want to do that. We don't want to honor God with our lives. We have more important things to do, right? Satisfy yourself. Seek joy somewhere else. If you open your Bible to the very beginning, you go in a few chapters and you're mad at the first man and woman because of what they've done. And you're just like, really? Anything else? And you had to go to that tree? You weren't satisfied with watermelon or whatever else, the, you know, the fruits that grew on the ground. Like, avoid everything that grows in a tree. You got strawberry. You got tons of other things you could have eaten. But since the fall, the Lord has been calling a people back to him. A people who would be holy because he is holy. Verses like Leviticus, 14, uh, Leviticus 11, uh, 44, and 45 talk about that. First Peter uh, 1.15 doesn't just say be holy because the Lord God is holy. But it also tells us that to be holy, holiness must permeate into all of our conduct. You can't just be holy on Sunday and think that you're good every other day of the week. You can't just be holy when you're around your coworkers, then go home and then just abuse your children and your wife. A sanctified people who are holy are holy through and through. When a person places their faith and hope in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus, something amazing happens. They're taken from this kingdom of darkness and brought over into this kingdom of light. You become sanctified at salvation, but salvation is also the point where sanctification begins. That's one of those confusing things in the Bible, like yes, but also. Sanctification and holiness go hand in hand. You can't be growing in sanctification while at the same time your holiness is just taking a nosedive. The more I look like Christ, 
the more that I am changed by the, the dwelling of the Spirit inside of me, the more I desire holy things. Like I don't even desire some of the things that even a few years ago I thought were so important. In Colossians, Paul describes sanctification as a process of, of taking off the dead self and instead clothing yourself with Christ who gives you life, who is your satisfaction. Being alive in Christ is good. A couple of weeks ago, Steve was up here and he was talking about this, this kind of misconstrued conception that, that people have that if I'm going to be a Christian, that means no fun, more rules, a lame life, fun, excitement. That's this way. But it's, it's, it's false. What I'm going to say is going to challenge you because as I was thinking about it, it challenged me. We often view the new believer with like this exuberance of this happiness and joy of being saved. But I've been a Christian a long time now. I've walked with God. He's been there in good times in my life and he's been there in some really bad times in my life. I can fill this hour easy with the sins that he's forgiven for me. I know the joy of God. Where is my excitement in this process of sanctification? When I look back and see where I was and see where I am now, where's my exuberance to want to let other people know about Christ? If you talk to my wife, you'll find out it's showing up more now than it did a year ago. But God desires for his people to be sanctified so that they would be holy the way he is holy. That doesn't happen by itself. You can't one day wake up and say, today's the day I will be holy. I will go and do no wrong. Maybe you've tried that. We could talk about how bad you failed after. Um, it doesn't happen that way. So when Paul is saying, look, I want you to walk in a way that is worthy of God. The only way that happens is through your sanctification. And then he finishes the passage by pointing out who it is who dwells in you, who makes your sanctification, the Holy Spirit who is a gift to you. You cannot be pure, you cannot be holy, separated from the Holy Spirit. It's not possible. So if you want to grasp this, what we're going to talk about, this, this sin that often stalls our sanctification, you cannot do anything against this sin apart from the Spirit sanctifying you. It's not easy. The book of Romans, uh, uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, it's chapter 7 where, where Paul says, 
For, for I do not do what I want to do, but I do what I do not want to do. Paul knows that when you're going through this process of sanctification, it's not going to be sunshine and rainbows all the time. It's not easy. But yet Paul's the person I, I go to often and hold up as, here's a man who knows what sanctification is. I mean, he went from persecuting and, and holding coats so people could throw things easier at Christians to sacrificing his own life for the same message that he was trying to suffocate. I just want to make sure this is clear before I go to the next thing. God's will for his people is that you be sanctified. It was so important to him that he gave you, Christian, the Holy Spirit, because he knew you could not do it by yourself. Now let's get into the part that the church doesn't like to talk about. Verse 3 through 5. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Sexual sin retards your sanctification. Sexual sin retards, it delays, it slows, it hinders your sanctification. Paul is directly connecting sanctification with sexual impurity. I want to point out here again that, that, that sexual purity is not the whole of sanctification. It's not hey, I'm sexually pure, so I'm sanctified. I'm perfect now. If you're not struggling with sexual impurity, I congratulate you. But there's something else that you're struggling with. So what I talk about the rest of the day, just apply to whatever that one is. And then when you're really willing to admit that maybe you do still struggle with sexual sin, then you can apply it anyway. It's like, oh, wow, it connects really easy when I admit my sins to myself. But... um. Why does Paul point them to sexual sin? I mean, of all the sins that you could list, Paul, I mean, and, and, and he doesn't list all of them. He just drives right to this one. Now, some commentators say, well, there must have been some sort of thing that rose up in the church there and they were struggling and, you know, uh, maybe they were like the Corinthian church, you know, where there was just some messed up stuff happening. There, there isn't any proof of that that we know of. So why does he drive, drive this, this, this train of thought right to sexual impurity? Let me tell you a quote from a, a Greek orator. His name was Demophenesis. This is what he says. We keep mistresses for our pleasure, concubines for our day-to-day -day bodily needs, but... We have wives 
to produce legitimate children and to serve as trustworthy guardians of our home. This is from a reputable Greek citizen. This is the culture that, that these Thessalonians are living in. A place where I mean, prostitution is not just accepted, but it's often connected with their worship. So if you actually sit and think about it, the world we live in isn't too much different from this world that Paul is writing to. Instead of me walking down the street to the pagan temple, I just go down to my office and turn my computer on to have my sexual needs fulfilled. I don't know if if you're aware of just how much it's out there. And if you are a lady, don't check out here. Um, 20% of women have admitted, that's the key there, admitted to having a porn addiction. And here's the fun part of that statistic. That's from people who went to church. So don't check out here. But, but sex is everywhere. I mean, TV, movies, books, romantic novels. Any ladies read that? Don't raise your hand. It's one of the, the largest selling of books. Like, it's not even romantic. Half the time, the story that's in there, if it happened to you in real life and you were the other spouse or whatever, you would hate that. Video games? It's kind of funny because when I was a kid, it was like, you know, there's graphic violence. Mario is breaking bricks and stuff like this. And, you know, now it's like literally M for maturity, you know, and you need to be 21. Like, it's a video game. Really? Ads? Drive down the road here, the, the billboards? I mean, how many times have you seen like the new BMW model come out and there's an overweight man laying on the the cover of, you know, the hood of the BMW. It, it just doesn't happen. And it's not just sexual images in our culture. That, that doesn't satisfy us anymore. It's, it's actually immoral. Sexual acts are often praised and honored in these things. The sin of sexual immorality retards our sanctification because it corrupts the idea of what real satisfaction is. It also corrupts where true satisfaction is found. We think this stuff satisfies us. We think it's found over here. While all the time we've been ignoring where satisfaction is found. Here. In Christ. We can't be sanctified to God when we're more preoccupied with satisfying our sexual passions than we are about honoring a holy God. God has called us not for impurity, but in holiness. This word impurity is the thing that drove me to totally change what I hold, but I can't even talk now. 
This point, this word impurity, when I read it again and again, and then I was looking, well, what's it actually say in the Greek and stuff like that? Like, it, it was that word that changed what this whole sermon was about. Because when I first read it, in your, you know, in the English translation, this is one of those things where we struggle, like, we only have one cut word for blue. We only have one word for impurity. This word is only used other places in the Bible when it's connected to sexual impurity. Now, I first read, I'm thinking like, oh, he wants us to be impure in all things. You know, don't drink, don't curse, don't, you know, all this other thing. Like, no, he's driving home the point again in verse 7. God has called you not to be impure, sexually impure. He has not called you to be sexually impure, but instead to be holy. If you're a person struggling with this, you cannot serve two masters. You have to choose. And if you're swimming in this stuff, you've already made your choice. You can either choose your desires, your self-satisfaction, or you can choose the holy, sovereign Righteous, pure, loving God. My hope and prayer is that it, it... If you truly desire to honor God and you're getting caught up with the same thing that Paul is cautioning the Thessalonians, be aware. Watch out for this. This, this, will, this will hurt your sanctification. I pray that you will repent of this. I pray that you're seeing that it really doesn't end with the sexual act that you see that this sin that 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 I, I can only think of like tentacles literally just reaching out into other areas of your life and slowly choking you if you are in this or maybe you know someone who has had this as a, this this specific sin in particular as a struggle like you'll know that like it is so quickly that they begin to lie to hide the sin. Or, or that they become so angry and defensive if you even brush up against that sin in their life. Or maybe we just become so guilt-stricken, paranoid, fearful that we withdraw from anybody else because if they found out the truth, Sexual sin is not an individual sin. Let me say that again. Sexual sin is not an individual sin. I can sit here and talk about this stuff forever. That was the challenge that I had is like, if you have a kid in youth ministry, I just want to point out, we talk about this stuff. So if you want to have a conversation about what we talk about and things like that, like, come and talk to me. 
Because, I mean, we talk about a lot of other things. Let me point that out. But this comes up a lot. And, and I point out this, this simple point that sexual sin, is, it's, it's not an individual sin. You see, sexual sin retards the sanctification of other folks, too. Sexual sin doesn't only slow down your sanctification and hinder you. Sexual sin retards the sanctification of others. You see, this, this poisoning effect of, of immorality seeps into the lives of the family and the church so easily. That's why Paul says here in, uh, what is it, verse 6, he's cautioning us that we do not transgress or wrong his brother in this matter. It, it just, it seeps in. I mean, how many folks have had their walk with God stall because of the passions of somebody else. You know, maybe it's a spouse who shakes their fist so angrily at God and say, you allowed this to happen. Why did you allow my spouse, my spouse, to sleep with somebody else? They become so angry at God. God has nothing good for them. Or maybe it's the teenage girl who just weeps in her room because her body doesn't match the misguided fantasies of the teenage boy. Or maybe it's the man who just throws his arms up completely with the church. Forget it. I mean, if the pastor's going to sleep with his secretary, what's even the point? Or maybe it's the child who feels worthless when they found out that they were an accident, a mistake. Do you see how the actions of one or two people or multiple people who think that it's fine, it leaks into your family, to the church? These things, these, these foul effects of sexual sin begin to blur our vision of God. We, we begin to not be able to see Him clearly. We no longer see the message as the gospel, as being able to do anything. We no longer view ourselves through the eyes of God. Instead, we view ourselves the way those people have viewed us. Maybe now all we see is someone who is worthless or, 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 or a victim or a whore or, or someone who's been wrong or, or someone who, who just the only way that they can receive any kind of love is by giving their body away. God's bigger than all of this. But we forget that when we're weeping in our room, when we're shaking our fists, when we're wondering, why did mom and dad even do that if they don't want me? We forget God is bigger than this. He wants you to trust him. He is faithful when your spouse is not. 
He finds your beauty breathtaking just the way that he made you. He wants you to see that it is Christ who is the complete image of God, not your pastor. For some of you, surprise, I'm not the full image of God. I know. Shocking. I'm going to call your parents. Did you know? <laughs> Kurt's not the full image of God. Like, but we, come, we become so blind to that. And God, you know, like, God wants you to know, you know what? I knew who your parents were going to be. I knew when you were going to be born because I knit you in your mother's womb. And I've made you not for them. I made you for me. You are no accident. It doesn't matter what you're going through. God is bigger than that. His grace knows no bounds. Oftentimes we rely so much on this hearing and this foreseeing that we forget to actually hear God. And actually see the way God sees things. It doesn't matter if, if you're the one who has succumbed to the sexual immorality or if you're the person dealing with the kind of the collateral damage of that person's actions. Your pursuit of sanctification doesn't need to stall. And it's, it's pretty pretty awesome i think this is one of the best parts of the whole sermon right now is this this point the pursuit of holiness is not a solo journey the pursuit of holiness is not a solo journey paul doesn't write this letter to the thessalonians and say you know um, you received from us how you ought to live and to walk in a way that's pleasing to God. Something's going to come up, but uh, you know, you fix it on your own. You deal with it. I'm going to let you know it might happen, but, but you deal with it however you want it to, do, to, to deal with it. I, I just... I just hit this thing. There's a reason why God ordained the church to exist. Keep your finger in, in 1 Thessalonians, but flip back a little bit to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, uh, verse 24 and 25 says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He's talking about the assembly. Let us gather together and stir one another, encourage one another in love and good works. Look around in this room. I, just, I, I was talking with Chuck right in the hall, and this, I'm using a point that we had a conversation about him stealing from us. I guess it's only partially stealing. Look around at the people in this room. 
Right? Here's the one time, like, look behind you. Look at those people. You never see them. And they only see the back of your head. Because we always sit in the same seats. Like, look around. Those people are, are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And, and their purpose is to care for you and to love you. We're supposed to be known for our love. Are we really known for that? And it's really hard for me to care for you and for me to love you when I only see the back of your head every Sunday and we never actually talk face to face. I mean, how cool would it be to go up to somebody and say, you know, we we have a pretty good friendship. I want to share something with you. I struggle with this. And they look back and say, you know what? I used to struggle with that too. I sometimes still do. Here's what I'm doing. And then they share the gospel with you. Wouldn't that be crazy to actually do what the Bible tells us to do? And, and I mean, just how awesome would it be that every person that you talk to in the church is helping to point you back to Christ and say, satisfaction is found here. Hope and joy is found here. But that will never happen if we're not willing to get to know one another. I had a, a professor in college who whether you agree with this or not, but his point just drove home. He thinks that no church should be bigger than 150 people, if that. You hit 151, it's time to cut that church in half. And the whole reason was, you can know 150 people. I mean, you, you might not know them, but, you know, oh, there's Aaron, you know, there's, uh, you know, like, you know these people. And a fair amount of them actually know you. But when you go to a church bigger than that, you, you start like, are you new? No, I've been coming for three months. Really? Never seen you before. And I know big churches have their methods and their ways to do it. I'm not condemning or, or pointing out, you know, like we're bigger than 150. We need a cut right now. All you guys, we're starting a church over here. Like, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is get to know the people who are sitting around you. Get to know them because God has ordained that the church exists for your benefit. And it's not just knowing one another. The church, he's also made the church because discipleship is supposed to be occurring here. If you attend a church, you shouldn't have to go outside the church to find someone to disciple you. Look again at these first two, the first two verses of this, this passage. Paul writes, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ that as you received... When did they receive whatever it is he's about to talk about? They received it when Paul and his companions were there. Teaching and instructing them. What did they receive? They received from us how you ought to walk and please God. I want to show you what it means to look like a Christian. Will you let me show you? Will you let me teach you? Will you let me live with you so that you can see these things? 
And then he goes on, he says, just as you are doing, do it so more and more and more and more. And he's encouraging them. You remembered well the lessons that I taught you. Keep going. Don't stop. And he goes on and says, For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. I gave you instructions and they weren't made up like, here's a good idea. Let's try this. They've been passed down. I mean, Paul was blessed that God like shows up right there. And he's changed. If you read through Paul's letters, you see how important discipleship is to him. How great would it be for a mature believer to be willing to walk alongside you as you go through life and say, let me show you the glory of the Lord. Let me help you to see the scriptures clearer. Let me hold you accountable. Let me pray for you. How great would that be? That's a reason why the church here was ordained. The purpose of the church isn't just to gather and face forward at a goofy looking guy and cobwebs in the corners and you know lights and all this other stuff. Like this is not the end of church. I'm not saying this isn't part of it. Well, we in America, we do a great job of taking a piece of something and disregarding everything else. So again, like, you know, that's really awesome. I said this is the best part of the whole sermon because that's awesome that I have you guys and you have us and we have you and all. I'm sounding like a Beatles song. Um, This is what happens when you don't follow your notes. God didn't just stop with the church. He's like, okay, the pursuit of holiness is not a solo journey. I'm going to give you people. That's a really cool thing. But I'm going to give you something even better. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you God dwelling in you. Paul even writes in Galatians 5.16, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Sometimes when I read, I'm like, Paul, why didn't you write that in this passage? But then you read the rest of Galatians 5 and it fits there too. So the Spirit is with us. I pointed, touched on this earlier when we were talking about sanctification. Like, You will not be able to please God on your own ability. So God instead has gifted us graciously with the Spirit. The very thing that we are sanctified by, the indwelling of the Spirit, is the same thing that helps us to go through the sanctification process. Amen to the Holy Spirit? Like, isn't that awesome? 
In a note, like right there, this little book, uh, Francis Chan has this book called Forgotten God. It's an easy read. You can, I think you can even download it uh, free for a while. I don't know if you can still download it free. But uh, if you search it, find this book. I have a copy of it, I think, still. Of, did we give it away? Okay, we still have it. Um, I can send it to you. I email it. I, we forget about the fact that the Holy Spirit you know, we think, oh, God the Father, all right, God. God the Son, all right, God. Oh, the Holy Spirit. No, God the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you if you are a Christian. Francis Chan in his book writes about, man, we as a church have forgotten the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we have hindered the growth of the church. I don't want you to go home and say, if I just move the computer into here, if I just stop looking at that coworker, if I just, you know, think really hard, like, no. Let us preach the gospel to you. Let the Holy Spirit change you. Don't do it by yourself because you can't do it by yourself. On this journey, we have companions. It'd be foolish to say, I don't want what God has given me. I don't need people. I don't need his spirit. I'll do it myself. Sexual impurity, like all sin, is a serious, serious offense to the righteous God. Seek out the Holy Spirit to be transformed and to be made new, because if not, it will not go well for you. I love these passages where you get to see the wrath of God in the New Testament. I love when people are like, God's all mean in the Old Testament. I'm like, really? You think he's mean? He's holy. He's just. If you hurt his people, he's going to come for you. And I love that here in the New Testament, we're reminded a little bit of the awesomeness and that God does love us so much that the people who harm his chosen, beloved children, oh, he's coming for you. Verse 6, Paul reminds us here that, that, that the Lord avenges in all these things. We told you beforehand. We even solemnly warned you. And then he says in verse 7, he says, For God has not called you to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, these instructions, when we were there, we instructed you, this writing, this letter that I wrote you, if you disregard this, you're not throwing out the word of man. You're throwing out the word of God. And don't forget, God's given you something. He's driving home the point here. Sanctification, right here at the end of the paragraph again. He has gifted you the Holy Spirit. You're going to disregard the teachings of God and then you're going to pretend like you have the Spirit? If you disregard Him, you disregard Him here. And you disregard Him here. 
Did that make sense to anybody? If you disregard his word, saying your word's not that important, why you're disregarding the spirit with inside of you? Especially being that one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to reveal the truth and convict you out of the word. So my hope, my hope for today, after these ramblings and, and, and these, these words that I pray, I sat in my office just praying that God would take them and use them. That it wouldn't be about me here. But I, but I really hope, if you're suffering under the weight of sexual sin, that you would submit to the Word and the truth and the Spirit. That you would stop giving excuses and justifying your actions, but instead would say, I'm done with these things. I'm going to repent. I'm done seeking satisfaction and never finding it and then finding out so quickly I'm back at the same place again, lacking and dissatisfied. I pray instead that you would come to Christ. You would drink from his well and that you would never be thirsty and that you would be truly satisfied. But I also know that there are people here who have been affected by the collateral damage of sexual sin. And, and, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. I, I grieve when I've had people share with me some of the stuff they've gone through. But at the same time, I want to point you to a true, loving God who uh, the psalmist says, he heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. Are you going to allow him to do that? So church, we must thwart sexual sin from ourselves and from the people of God. We have been given that responsibility. The battle is not won through willpower or denying that it even exists, but through the gospel and the spirit of the Lord. So let us here, EV free folks, let us be gospel-minded and spirit-filled people. Let's pray. Lord, I pray I pray for our hearts, Lord. I pray that we would we would fill our hearts with you instead of our own desires. Lord, I pray that you would convict us. of the sin that we have. 
Lord, I pray specifically for sexual sin that, that we have. It, 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 we struggle with it, Lord. Make us aware of it. And don't just make us aware of it. Show us where satisfaction is found. Show us that you are capable of forgiving even us, even after all we've done. And Spirit, I pray that we can seek forgiveness from you when we've denied you, when we've tried to do it by ourselves, or or when we have sought to block out what you have shown us. Lord God, help us as a church to realize sexual sin or any other sin, even in another person, if they are part of our body, Lord, they are our responsibility to care for, to encourage, to train, to equip, to fight right alongside Lord, help us to not forget these things. Help us to be willing to be open with one another. Lord, you know what we're doing before we even do it. Help us to be willing to come and confess to you so that we could be redeemed. I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is... Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.